This is the waves. 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 Welcome to the waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and girl bosses. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing we can't get off of our minds. And today, you've got me, Shannon Paulus, a senior editor at Slate covering health and science. And I'm Emily Peck. I co-host Slate's Money Podcast. I write a newsletter for Fortune about the workplace, and I'm content director at Funrise. I've basically been leaning in for a long time and also covering leaning in for a long time. And today we're going to talk about girl bosses, women entrepreneurs, and the fall of Elizabeth Holmes, who may or may not be a girl boss. She's currently awaiting trial for fraud for her company, Theranos. I'm interested in talking about this because I feel like I have been kind of the target audience for a lot of the girl boss stuff. I read Sophia Amoruso's book, Hashtag Girl Boss, when it came out in 2014. I watched the rise of Elizabeth Holmes's Theranos with a mix of like awe and jealousy. And over the past few days preparing for this, I've been thinking about why I was so attracted to the rhetoric, especially in Sophia Amoruso's book. And I think the main thing that drove me to it was that, you know, I was like 24 or 25 when I read that book. And this idea of conjuring a world where you were successful and powerful, like really appealed to me. I didn't like my job very much at the time. And I was kind of doing what in hindsight was like, the slow, hard, tedious work of building skills and figuring out where I fit into the journalism world and trying things that didn't work. And being a girl boss in some ways just sort of seemed to be like skipping all of that. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about the girl boss because, I mean, I've just been thinking about girl bosses maybe even before the term girl bosses was a thing. Maybe since I first um, in 2010 or 2011 watched Sheryl Sandberg's TED Talk. Sheryl Sandberg is the Facebook chief operating officer and maybe like one of the pioneering girl bosses, I would say. Um, And the talk was, you know, about getting more women into upper management, really put the onus on women to do that work, to lean in, to, to make it happen for themselves. And I really believed in that. But when the girl boss term kind of first was popularized in the early 2010s, like around the time you were reading that book, Shannon, I really, really hated the term girl boss. I just thought it was kind of almost horrifying, kind of infantilizing. It was like, we can't just call women bosses. They have to be girl bosses. We have to like pink it up. I mean, we don't have boy bosses, right? No one's like, you go Mark Zuckerberg, you boy boss, you badass. Like that would be really weird. So there's obviously something, you know, sexist about the whole thing. But at the same time, like if this was the way to get people excited about women being in charge, then I guess it was fine. So it's something I'm conflicted about. And of course, in the background of the rise of girl bosses was the rise of Elizabeth Holmes. And now we're witnessing her possible downfall. And we're going to talk about how she maybe counts as a girl boss, how she does and doesn't fit that mold, and all the twists and turns of girl bossness right after this break. Thank you. 
I wanted to take a second and welcome all our new listeners. And our old ones, too. We haven't forgotten about you. If you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too. Like last week's discussion about the state of white men on television. I loved listening to that. It was great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First, we're going to talk about girl bosses. Emily, tell me a little bit more about why the concept of girl bosses horrified you so much. The concept is horrifying to me because it is so contradictory. On the one hand, we're celebrating women as leaders, and there are so few women in power in charge of anything. Like, despite all the hype around girl bosses, there just there aren't that many women CEOs. There aren't that many women entrepreneurs. Women get 4% of venture capital funding. I mean, there's not a lot of women in charge at all. So we're glad to have girl bosses around. And then there's so much research that I've seen and, and written about that points to the fact that people are deeply uncomfortable with women in positions of authority. So it seems clear that the reason girl bosses caught on at least for a while was because it was a way of softening the woman in authority. Like she looks perfect. She's well quaffed. So this is a way to kind of like soften that problem, maybe a solution to that contradiction or whatever, but it's not really a solution. I mean, the problem is all those girl bosses kind of looked a little bit the same. They're all white. They all are kind of around the same age, millennial. They all look perfect. Ivanka Trump kind of was like the er girl boss or one of them. The whole term makes these women have to carry a lot of weight for feminism when really they just want to be bosses of companies. And it's just, this is capitalism. Like it's not anything but just people want to be in charge of companies and make money. And that's why I brought up Ivanka Trump. Like she would try to be a girl boss and talk about feminism and all this. But really at the end of the day, She's just about making money, supporting capitalism, carrying water. So the whole concept is kind of kind of horrifying because it's like girl bosses are supposed to sort of take on the mantle of feminism and equality. At the same time, these are just privileged women trying to make a buck. Maybe a better example would be that the the Sheryl Sandberg as girl boss, you know, she came out and she told women to just lean in, work harder, really try and get to the top. Um, and it felt like feminism, but at the end of the day, the reason women don't get to the top isn't just because you're not sitting at a conference table with the other guys. It's so much more complicated. It has to do with culture, has to do with sexism, has to do with a system where if you have a baby, like there's no childcare, it has to do with racism, which no girl boss ever really dug into and probably led to their downfall a bit in more recent years. Yeah. Like I feel myself you know, bracing against the backlash a little bit. For example, I actually don't have a problem personally with the term girl. And like, maybe it's a little bit sexist that girl boss has been positioned to sound like a silly term. I've been trying to put my finger on it. 
And I came to the conclusion that I feel like the same way about the word girl that I do about bitch, which is that I feel fine saying it about myself or select friends with whom it's like, uh, oh, hey, girl, like girl, girl time, or like girl stuff. There, there are just like little phrases I use around certain people, but where like I might actually no, I'm like I'm 31 and it's 2021. I would never call myself a girl boss now, but like maybe in 2014 I would have like thought, okay, being a girl boss is something a little bit to aspire to. But I know that if anyone else ever called me a girl boss, I would just be like, oh my god, get that away from me. Yeah, on the one hand, it was something empowering and. I think some of the criticism of it is probably sexist. That TikTok, Kylie Brakeman's TikTok kind of making fun of girl bosses kind of like epitomizes all the the ways people criticize girl bosses. I'm always walking down the street, or as I like to call it, the sheet. That's right. I'm a lady in the sheet and a she-girl lady in the sheets. It isn't easy to make it in beautiful NYC, but nevertheless, I girl sisted. Hey, buddy, I'm girl boss in here. It's become a, a stereotype and something to be mocked. And there is something that feels sexist about it, Shannon. So the reason we're talking about this is because we've come a long way from when everyone was excited about girl bosses. And recently in the cut, there was a piece that a lot of people were reading called The Girl Boss is Dead, Long Live the Girl Boss. And there's been a lot of discussion now about is the girl boss dead? what to think about it. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about it and it feels like the girl boss just couldn't stand up to the moment we're in. Like first me too showed that, you know, you can lean in all you want, but there's, if there's a systemic sexual harassment around you, you're not going to get to the top. Then there is, you know, um, the pandemic and George Floyd. And so now we're in this situation where the girl, the girl boss kind of just falls apart. Yeah. And there were, there were a couple key moments last summer with Leandra Medine Cohen, um, who founded Man Repeller, which is a fashion blog that was like all about not having to wear makeup or wear things to be appealing to men. And also Audrey Gelman, the CEO of The Wing, a workspace where only women are allowed, where people kind of realized like, oh, well, they're welcoming to women, but like what kind of women? And the answer is so often white women. And both of them stepped down from their positions um, in the face of criticism from from their employees. Yeah, it, it was like these are women who were using sort of the girl boss mantle and the feminist mantle to market themselves. But in the end, they were sort of exposed as kind of empty. I mean, Shannon, you told me I should listen to this podcast with Leandra Modine Cohen, this painful interview we'll link to in the show notes where she talks about getting quote unquote canceled, which just means people criticized her publicly and then she resigned and closed down her company. And she basically kind of defends herself and it's just the most cringy interview I've, I've really ever listened to, I think, um, in which she just does not understand I don't know how else to say this, but she does not understand her privilege. What did you think was interesting about that? The moment that sticks out to me is she talks about feeling so insecure financially growing up that she worried that her family was going to be homeless. And, you know, they had a vacation home. and In the Hamptons. 
in the Hamptons, right? <laughs> Not just some little podunk second home, <laughs> like a real second home. Um, and I think that like gets to the heart for me of why like any one individual positioning themselves or like being positioned in the culture as uh, like beacon of feminism and you know, oncoming equality is so, sorry to use an overused term, but problematic. Because on the one hand, okay, rich New York girl goes to private school is like, but like, is one of the people at private school who is like less money than all the other people at private school and feels financially precarious. Like that story on its own is just like emblematic of why capitalism to use a very broad brush is so fucked up it it makes just the fact that like wealth and money and uh, you can have a lot of wealth and you can be around people with even more wealth and you can still feel very insecure that's that says something about the larger system in which leandra exists instead of leandra in in my opinion but then when you're like held up as as sort of this influence and her role was to sort of teach women how to be in the world in this fundamental way, like how to dress to to be more themselves. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot too, because it's like there there's only so much these girl bosses can do for us. The one project that really they had was like, there aren't enough women at the top of things. We should have more. They could be girl bosses. But there's so much more to it than that. Like, I've been thinking a lot about this because I've written so many articles. I was at the Wall Street Journal a long time. And there are so many articles about, like, there aren't enough CEOs that are women. We should have more. But, like, that is not the only problem for women. That is just one small thing. Like, because if you could take it to its extreme, it just doesn't hold up as a progressive project. Like, imagine there are not enough women dictators. We need more women dictators. Like, it just... (laughs) There's a lot more to it than that. It doesn't hold up. And like Leandra Modine Cohen's project was fine. She got to be in charge of a business. Great. Good for her. But like, that's all she was. And that's just where it ends. And I think the events of the past 18 months, three years, I don't know, since Me Too, George Floyd, the pandemic, there's just a lot more to the project. Maybe the last place to go now is, you know, what do we do without girl bosses if girl bosses are over? I hope they're not over. I still want girls to be bosses. You want bosses who are girls or women, I d- but not I want them. Yes. girl bosses. Yes. Yes. <laughs> My like gut answer to this question is I feel like one thing that the pandemic has forced me to do is like start thinking really small in my life about the things that are immediately around me and looking towards this like almost like model-like figure on a a book that you know I'm sure was available in airports isn't the right answer but just like thinking about who are the women in my life who I can look to when I pick a job or like a manager what qualities am I looking for how can I like in my workplace, think about, like, giving help to not just women, but, like, anybody who, like, needs leadership or could use advice on how to move up. I'm talking about this from a very personal perspective, but zooming in and, okay, if we're going to get rid of girl bosses as idols, like, how do we think more practically, almost, about how to change things and small scale? Yeah. 
I mean, I can't help but think about the media piece to this. Fortune had a piece about the demise of the girl boss, of course. And they mention like when women are founding companies now, there's like a whole marketing apparatus that kind of kicks in around their projects. And the marketing apparatus says to them, go be a girl boss. Like I get press releases all the time that says like first woman CEO of oddly specific company, like first woman in the furniture business, CEO, startup founder has amazing insights. It's like that apparatus needs to go away. Like we need to keep the women in charge piece and get rid of maybe the marketing piece around it. Like that needs to be retired. We're going to take a break here, but if you like what you're hearing on The Waves, we would love it if you would like and subscribe to The Waves wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear more from Shannon and myself on another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, Gateway Feminism, where today we talk about the one thing that helped make us feminists. I'll be talking about middle school and Shannon will actually be talking about college. So kind of there's a nice symmetry there. And stick around for our next segment where we'll be finally be considering whether or not Elizabeth Holmes, the disgraced founder of Theranos, is indeed a girl boss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, May the 14th, my colleague Mark Joseph Stern and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. 
but there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Now we're going to talk about Elizabeth Holmes, the former CEO of Theranos, a blood testing startup that did not exactly do what was promised um, to the point where Holmes, as you probably have heard, is awaiting criminal trial right now. And we're going to talk about where Holmes fits into the era of the girl boss. Emily, would you consider Holmes a girl boss? (sighs) Okay, so when we first decided to talk about this, I thought she wasn't a girl boss. Now I've decided she is definitely a girl boss. Elizabeth Holmes was definitely a girl boss because she just fell into that marketing apparatus of girl boss. She was celebrated as a woman. Shannon, you pointed out that she was celebrated as a woman of the year in glamour. She landed on the cover of Fortune magazine famously. She was widely covered and celebrated for being the first um, female billionaire entrepreneur. Um, If you watch the documentary about her on HBO, which I recommend. There's like scenes of her sort of surrounded by women who clearly are looking up to her as a girl boss. It's like she didn't go around like Sofia Amoroso and and advertise herself as a girl boss, but she sought out all that coverage. um, And she, she basically leaned into positioning herself as a girl boss. I think. Lean into being a girl boss. Um, I, Agree. I think that, and I, I think that, you know, the people around her treated her like a girl boss. There's a lot of like subtext or maybe even text in John Carreyrou's book, Bad Blood, where she was this charming sort of like granddaughter like figure to some of her investors. She worked well on the cover of these magazines because they could say, you know, we're promoting equality. Um, We're putting a woman on the cover. She's a self-made woman, girl, billionaire. And also there's this other element now as she, you know, is solidified in the chronicles of history as kind of a scammer where Sophia Amoruso talks about in her book, the little bit that I could stomach re-listening to this weekend about how the first thing she sold online was a book she stole on eBay and how she engaged in like shoplifting and petty thievery before reforming herself to start this multi-million dollar company. And I think that in both of them, there's sort of this strain of like being immune to the rules of society in a way and kind of whatever you have to say or do to get yourself to the top kind of is okay because you're furthering this larger cause of like changing the world with the, like your you-ness and your girlness. But it's interesting you you mentioned sort of like do whatever it takes to get to the top, pull off the scam because so many men who make it to the top are also doing whatever it takes. The Facebook motto that Mark Zuckerberg came up with is move fast and break things people loved until recently, Adam Newman, the CEO founder of WeWork, who was basically another kind of scammer. And these people, Adam Newman, Zuckerberg, have been criticized for these things. But I think I think the women, the girl bosses get criticized more harshly. I think there are higher expectations that women aren't going to scam you, rip you off, lie to you, 
do whatever it takes, right? Yeah. So I think one of the things I think about when, you know, the question of are we harder on women than we are on men comes up is the fact that Elizabeth Holmes's actions have consequences for other women who are not in any way, shape, or form connected to her except for the fact that they're women. There is this piece in the New York Times a couple weeks ago titled They Still Live in the Shadow of Theranos' Elizabeth Holmes about female entrepreneurs facing comparisons to Holmes when they're talking to investors and having a little bit of a harder time selling people on it. If the marketing apparatus of woman entrepreneur in Silicon Valley was a good strategy for promoting a company and then the top woman topples, it becomes a little bit of like, not just a poisonous strategy, but like a way to exist that's been tainted. It's the curse of the first, I think. Um, You see it for people of color too, a lot. There's so much expectations on you, so much expectations on you when you're the first, the first female billionaire, the first successful entrepreneur that's a woman that it's going to, it's going to rain on everyone else. And it's just, it's not fair. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. In a way that like, I'm, I doubt that men are going into meetings no. and being compared to like Adam Newman, <laughs> at right. least not with the same, like the same level of like toxicity or ramifications. Like, you know, maybe there's a guy with like a co-working idea that <laughs> right. is having a hard time, but yeah. Co-working might be tainted by Adam Newman, but like, there are plenty of CEOs named Adam that are going to be fine, literally, that may look just like him, that will be fine. Like, it's not, um, his downfall doesn't, like, diminish all the other Adams, all the other longish-haired CEOs. They're probably going to be okay. But because there are so few women, um, Holmes, her falling off a pedestal kind of, like, shakes everyone else's foundations, too. So maybe this is a good time to talk about if we think Holmes is going to play up the fact that she's a woman and the fact that women are subject to sexism at her trial. John Carreyrou, on his podcast, Bad Blood, The Final Chapter, talked about the fact that Elizabeth Holmes is a new mom. And he says, and he's like kind of, he's self-aware of like the implications of this, that his first thought was like, oh my God, she's doing it for sympathy. Yeah, like I have to admit that was, that is kind of my main thought too it's hard to look at this person who's been in the public eye as a scammer and not think that cynically about about her motives yeah not only has john carreyrou and others said oh elizabeth holmes just got pregnant for sympathy to make her a juror feel you know more empathy for her but also the reporting says her her defense will be that her boyfriend at the time, when she was at Theranos, the chief operating officer of Theranos, Sonny Balwani, um, was abusing her physically and mentally, and that's why she did her scam. I think it's a it's a long shot defense, and it also puts all of us in a weird the jury, the media, and in this weird position where we all say we want to take these kinds of allegations seriously. At the same time, it's hard to take them seriously when it's coming from. Elizabeth Holmes. It's really kind of a mess. It's important to note that Sonny Balwani has, I think through his lawyers, spokespersons, has denied all those allegations categorically and says there was no such abuse at all. So 
Kevin Hunter, an outside consultant hired to vet Theranos, who has been um, subpoenaed to testify at the trial, told ABC's podcast, The Dropout, that during his time um, interacting with Theranos, it was very clear that Elizabeth was in charge, that it was just ludicrous to think that Sunny was controlling her. Because Elizabeth's defense may be that she wasn't in charge, that this was really Sunny's operation. What would you say to that? I don't, there's, that's just completely untrue. I mean, there's just no way. Um, Sunny was, was a distant second, you know, she came up with the plans and the strategies and he helped execute them. He was the bad guy, but she ran the meetings. He rarely participated unless it had something to do with IT or whatever. Um, It was clearly the Elizabeth show. There's no question about it. John Carreyrou says on his podcast that for this defense to fly, Elizabeth would have basically had to have been a puppet of Sonny Balawani's, like, devoid of free will. And for me, it's clear that the question of whether or not this was an abusive relationship is separate from the question of whether Elizabeth Holmes should be held accountable for Theranos. Yes, absolutely. I think that's correct. And I I think the other thing that, like, this conversation shakes loose in my head is that it can be true that people are sexist towards Elizabeth Holmes, and it can be true that she is a harder time or an easier time on the stand because she's a woman. And she also can just have done this, like, huge, terrible (laughs) grift that she deserves to be held accountable for. Sexism happening to somebody doesn't erase their own role in things. Before we head out, we want to give you some recommendations. Emily, what are you loving right now? Speaking of podcasts about women, I really like a podcast about a fictional woman called Ack, Ack Cast by Jamie Loftus, which is about the comic strip Kathy, which was a big part of my life growing up because I read the comics every day and Kathy... Um, ran for decades about a single white woman trying to make it in America. And Loftus's podcast is just so good because um, Kathy, like the girl boss for a while, everyone made fun of um, in a way that did seem a little sexist and weird, but also justified. And what Jamie Loftus has done is kind of like bring it back and show why Kathy was actually like quite feminist and was pointing out a lot of really big problems for women in the United States and deserves a second look. So I recommend everyone go and listen to ActCast because it's fun. What are you recommending, Shannon? (laughs) I'm recommending a book called The Luckiest Girl Alive. Um, It came out in 2015, and it's going to be a movie on Netflix. At some point in the future, they just wrapped filming in August. And the main character is... A little bit of a girl boss, though she would definitely bristle at the word girl. She works at a cosmopolitan-style magazine um, and is set to get married soon. And the whole book is basically about this sort of shell of perfectionism and, like, drive at work and image of herself as, like, a successful woman living in New York City and kind of what that's covering up for and the trauma in her life that has 
led her to feel that she needs such a shell. It was a really, really fast read, and it kind of helped shake loose some things in my own brain as we're all going through this pandemic, rethinking of what work means and what it means to care about your job and what it means to identify with your job. And like, you know, when you read fiction and it just helps crystallize something that like you knew, but you didn't really like feel totally. It did that for me a little bit with how I think about like my own success and like wanting success and what I feel like that's compensating for or protecting me from. Oh, I really want to read this now. <laughs> Great. All right, that's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Susan Matthews is our editorial director with June Thomas, providing oversight and moral support. They are our girl bosses, y'all. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and bonus content of shows like this one. It's only $1 for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus. We'd also love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.